You're listening to Yellow Peril Tactical, the Tiger Block Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Yellow Peril Tactical, the Tiger Block Podcast. I'm Soju Operator, and tonight I am joined by Snow. Say hi, Snow. Hello. The usual. She's a crowd pleaser. Apparently, everyone likes Snow a lot. This is the lesson I've learned. People want to hear more Snow than me, and I'm completely okay with that. Hey. <laughs> and we're joined by our special guest, uh, Lou from Insubordinate Collective. I'm sure many of you have heard of them before. Uh, say hi, Lou. Hi, everyone. Uh, I have they, them pronouns, and I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we're super excited to have you on. Um, for those who don't know, it's sort of a short intro. Insubordinate Collective is a, uh, I guess, as the name implies, a collective effort of general kind of leftist activism awareness of issues and fundraising for uh, community building and a lot that has to do with bringing attention to struggles around the world as well as uh, firearm safety and firearms training a lot of great content a lot of great patches if you if you all haven't gotten those i've gotten some awesome t-shirts really cool stuff there uh yeah and so we're here just to highlight their story that you're the origins of this whole project or they're about and I guess to start it off, I kind of said some of it already, but I'm sure you can do a much better job explaining what it is. Like, what is Insubordinate Collective? Where did it, where did it kind of come from? What's sort of the purpose behind it? Well, I think that there's this idea that Insubordinate Collective is an Instagram page that's run by multiple people. And I just want to be clear that that's not the case. I'm the only one that runs that page. There's a group of people that organize around Insubordinate Collective and help me design our patches and stuff. But I just want to be clear that the page itself is only me. I So I basically was had a personal Instagram and I was using that to post a lot about guns and stuff. But I felt that it was like a very self-centered thing that I was doing. I, I felt like it was a very vain thing. Um, so I made Insubordinate Collective to have more of a praxis type of thing and take focus away from myself and bring light into struggles in the in the types of communities that I'm a part of and that I want to see have more light drawn into them. Um, Insubordinate Collective primarily is a place for fundraising and to build community. That's our, that's my primary focus. Um, we run like a community building discord with our friends and we really encourage people to, um, coordinate with themselves and create horizontally run communities that don't have a set leader structure. Um, I think that's the best way that people can, really make genuine connections with each other. So that's the primary thing. And uh, I'm very set in um, like queer liberation and queer, like queer's right to own their own spaces and not have that space um, taken over by other people. Fuck yeah. Couldn't say that better myself. <laughs> right. Jesus. All right. I mean, <laughs> uh, I guess as the name kind of implies, it's, it's very much about that anti-authoritarian uh, ideal, right? Yeah, right, right. So Insubordinate Collective, the name is um, obviously like no guns, no masters, only blasters. So like 
I encourage people to not like look for a big leader who's going to save them, but like give people the tools or power to save themselves and, and make real friendships that way. That's a cool tagline. Is that going to be a shirt anytime soon? I didn't make that tagline up, but I stand by it. (laughs) (laughs) So so I won't make a shirt probably, but (laughs) (laughs) I got the clear idea from your explanation right there. Like, um, and like the kind of popularity has kind of, you know, risen out of insubordinate has been great. And uh, we, I think, uh, I think I speak for a lot of us at YPT. We see a lot of ourselves and what in your efforts too. There's a lot that we can re- relate upon that. Like the idea that um, like our social media page or whatever is not like a standing physical group for the most part. I mean, so yeah, we are physical people, but we're not like SRA, you know, guy sign up for your membership, or whatever. No, it's like the idea, like we're, we're, we're promoting struggles that would otherwise kind of not be uh, seen and we're doing it in kind of, you know, interesting, fun ways through social media posts or through things that you can purchase for a good cause. So, yeah. Right. And like, I have a lot of people who are like, how do I join Insubordinate Collective? Like, I want to be clear. We're not like a group of people that are like super cool and you have to like try to be part of our group. Like you're part of our group just by being you, just by like being queer, being a person of color, whatever that means. Like if you're insubordinate, if you're anti-authoritarian, you're already part of our group. Like there's no in or out crew i don't believe in that i think that's kind of toxic so right so you mean i won't get a membership card in the mail (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately no but you might get a cool patch (laughs) okay i'll take it i was about to ask that too um (laughs) so what sort of started your path towards uh activism and along those same lines of firearm ownership oh so i grew up in new york and i grew up in rural new york so you know, my dad's the type of person who he owns a Glock, but he thinks that the only way you unload that unload that Glock is just by like shooting it into the ground or something. So this yep. is kind of <laughs> right. So this is like the fuddy background that I come from of like firearms, and so I never really had access to any of that knowledge growing up. Like you know, New York has very strict laws. Um, but I did live in Portland during 2020, and that's enough to kind of radicalize anybody that has their fucking eyes open. Yeah, that'll do it. Exactly. And so there was this point where I was, when COVID first started, I was like, wow, do I drive back east? And like, is this the apocalypse? Like, what the fuck's going on? I'm sure we all had that. (laughs) And um, I was in my car and I kept like going back and forth. And I'm like, yeah, do I run away? And then I like, I turned around and went into a gun store, like in the like podunk parts of uh, Oregon. And I, I ended up buying, like, this shitty car, CM9, like, the worst fucking gun you've <laughs> ever seen. Like, the trigger pull was ridiculous. But, like, that moment I was like, I'm going to figure this out, and I don't need anybody to be here with me, and, like, I'm going to do this. And so that's kind of where that came from. That's awesome. Like, really, like, it, that's uh, that truly is, like, a ground-up story. You, you didn't have the luxury of coming from a established gun culture so to speak especially not in new york of all fucking places and um like you kind of just do it on my own like if no one else is gonna do it uh, you know we're gonna do it and it's kind of sort of mentality we had as well at at ypt of course a couple of us were grew up with some some of that culture it kind of goes to show like you don't have to have the latest scoochiest whatever gun product glock and or daniel defense ar to like get your the most essential um information out there like knowing how to use your firearm then learning on the line okay now i know better what to what to look for like down the line and i you know that's why i really appreciate that respect that right and i think there's this like idea that people have that like 
it's really intimidating for people who want to become new firearms owners where it's like there's all this information. You need to have a Glock. You need to have a SIG. You need to have the Daniel Defense uh, gun, uh, AR. Like, you have to have it all or you're not cool or you can't sit with us. And, like, that's a toxic idea. Like, people are going to get what they get. And it's better that somebody uses the gun that they have and that they can afford than them to, like, have the nicest gun. I think that's something that's really toxic in the gun community, left and right. For sure, yeah. Um, you know, people who we've probably gotten our claim to fame talking about, like, gear comparisons and things like that. And I wanted to make it clear to people, it's like, we're also not against the idea that if you genuinely only have what you have, that's perfectly valid and fine. Like, whenever people ask me, I get asked all the time, it's like, budget AR, budget pistol setup i'm just like all right well given your budget what is like the what is like the final line that you are not willing to cross cool and now i can like set out some sort of idea for you and usually it's just like okay if you're on a budget like a smith and wesson mmp sport 15 like that's perfectly valid functional reliable like reputable brand for a a budget tier ar-15 it'll get the job done i've seen it many people own it it's fine. Hell, even the PSA is generally pretty uh, passable for the most part. I would say the quality control isn't always there, but I would say that it's going to run you a couple of hundred rounds before you start experiencing problems for the most part. And um, you know, and I agree with that too. It's uh, it's always going to be the the skill set above the equipment. And once you once your skill set develops, then you know what kinds of equipment are going to start enhancing your skills a little bit better. Because, you know, skill, uh, the equipment and the technology is there to make you, uh, to complement your skills, not necessarily make you better by the fact, though. But, uh, yeah. Right, and nobody's going to spend, like, 2K on a hobby that they don't even have yet. Like, you don't even have this hobby yet. This isn't even, so, like, just don't buy a CM9. Like, that's all I got to say about <laughs> the gun that I bought. <laughs> like, anything but that. <laughs> right, right. For sure. <laughs> Um, so what are, uh, and you, you kind of touched upon it earlier, causes of movements that you're sort of actively supporting at the current moment? Um, so I do a lot of fundraisers. The most recent fundraiser that we're doing is one to help resettle Afghan refugees. Um, we're working, um, with, uh, Tactical Thirst Trap, which are really good friends and they organize around us quite a bit. Uh, and they help design this patch and... Basically, 100% proceeds from this patch will go to this foundation called the Zakat Foundation, and they were created by a Kurdish refugee uh, to basically help Muslims who are facing discrimination around the world. And so they don't just help resettle people from Afghanistan, but they also do a lot of work all over the world. So that's our most current fundraiser. Another fundraiser that we're, we have still ongoing is one for the Palestinian Red Crescent. And so that's for people who are actually in Palestine and facing really, really gross like genocide and stuff. And so all those funds are like for medical aid for those people. And 100% proceeds from all of our fundraisers that we do go to the causes that we say that they go to. Hey, that's awesome. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I remember seeing that in your story pretty recently. Um, and like, that's great. I We had recently just gotten done on a similar uh fundraising initiative but like you know obviously it's it's always great when more people are putting though that attention right um to those kind of causes i think now more than ever it's like you know i mean things only get worse but like now it's like i'm great i'm really grateful that people are pushing towards those uh awareness campaigns and putting in the money where it needs to go 
the uh, Kurdish refugee, uh, how did you get to know? Do you know this person personally, or how, how did that happen? No, it's a it's a nonprofit that's here in the United States okay. that's kind of well-established. It's not somebody that I know. I do know, like, people from YPG that I have worked with in the past, and we've d- did a patch fundraiser for them that went to getting, like, soldiers on the ground shoes and beer and, like, stuff that people don't think that they need. Like, yeah, they get medical aid, but who's buying them a beer after a night of, like, fighting for their right to be alive like so that's another thing that we've done i i wanted to bring awareness to another thing that i i've been really working on and it's like this idea of like the haggard queer like there's this idea that you have to be like this certain type of queer like if you're not non-binary enough or you're not trans enough or you don't look this way enough that you're not like queer enough and so my entire like thing that i've been working on recently is just like it's okay to like be non-binary and date a cis white dude like it's okay you're still gay like every relationship that you're in is still gay and you can still sit with us like yeah 100 percent. especially in portland like there's this this idea that like what a queer person looks like or how they present like sometimes we look haggard fuck it like leave us alone like i don't have to be right. any sort of way <laughs> well also like non-binary people don't owe you androgyny yeah, you know, exactly. like they can look however the fuck they want and they're still non-binary. Like every relationship that I'm in is a gay relationship. OK, <laughs> like exactly. I, that's a really important thing to bring up. I, I never really thought about that too much. Like I've heard some of the those kind of concerns from like maybe some friends or people I know who are who are bi. But because they're, you know, they happen to be in a relationship with, say, if they're if they're bi uh man and cis man but they're dating a, a woman they're like well you're not you're not really bi you're not gay like what does that have why does that devalue them of, of their of their identity uh it's very you'll see that in a lot of uh, marginalized groups and a lot of uh I, you know different ethnic groups as well like asians asian being asian american or going back to your homeland is a it's very similar regard to that you know you don't speak the language you don't dress a certain way you don't believe a certain standard or whatever is like are you asian enough to them or something like that and i completely i i can understand that for, for sure yeah i right. think too like it's it only like that division only serves white supremacy and like that's where it's based out of to divide and conquer us among each other and like being a queer asian person i get it from like all fucking angles um i'm just getting rocked all the time right and i have this like struggle of like am i Sometimes they got me fucking wondering if I'm queer enough. I'm like, am I queer? I'm like, wait, yes, right. I am. Like, you don't get to tell me what how I am. Yeah, right on. Like, yeah, it, it, it is. It, that, that is a good point, Snow. It, it comes from this idea that there has to be some one homogenous standard, which is like fucking ridiculous. Like, why? Why, why? why? Why is that the case? Identity is a very, you know, complex issue. And it should never be just because a group of people who are the loudest are suddenly tell you what what you should be right and you know along those same lines it's kind of what you touched upon earlier lou in gun culture that's very much the problem right left or right and me having coming you know having experience in the gun industry so to speak and and with gun leftists too it's like i see it from all angles too this um the idea it's like like you said kind of earlier you, you have to be at this certain standard of firearm competency or you have to uh own these kinds of guns it's like yeah standards should be a thing when it comes to training like you want to reach something right cool you have a a benchmark of skills that's fine but like i know people who are 
too intimidated to even post, you know, videos or pictures of themselves training because they feel like they're not good enough. And like, I don't ever want to see that. I want people to be encouraged. Like, I don't care how we see this all the time. We don't care how good, quote unquote, you know, you are. We just care that you're even doing it. Right. And a lot of that, kind of like you said, is like the where's this gatekeeping like at? It's always I think our first episode Snow was talking about, hey, I, you know, there people go to Snow because they feel comfortable and know that she can teach them what they need to know in a manner that's accessible, not just because some guy is loud about enough, you know, loud enough about it. Well, yeah. And there's like these like in. I think some people learn in these settings where it's like t- uh, attention is commanded and like there's a person and they're the teacher and there's the students and they're the students. And not everybody learns in that way, especially people who have historically been marginalized. Like they don't learn from somebody screaming at them or commanding attention. Yes, that might work for some people, but that's not working for everybody. And so there's a reason why people might come to Snow or might come to me and ask them to teach. And that reason is valid. Like you don't present it in a way that's easy for other people to digest it's not you expect people to have like a certain amount of competency sometimes and when i i I, when i say you i mean like the proverbial you oh sure yeah people expect people to have a certain competency and if you don't then it's embarrassing and like that makes people not want to show up like people are like i don't know how to use the safety do i go to this thing am i going to be made fun of and that's that's something that i experienced a lot it's like i didn't when i first started guns i didn't know shit like, sometimes you need somebody to break it down in, like, a very basic way and, and be kind about it. And Yes. Yeah. Most definitely. I think my approach from, you know, teaching people, and a lot of this coming from the, the work I do for Arm Your Friends, you know, I do kind of treat it as if it's like a classroom setting. And I found that most people are pretty receptive to that idea. And, but you know, for, you have to keep it grounded in a way where you're not being an, an overbearing asshole, right? And I, you know, you have to always look at each, each individual skill set and keep reminding people that you're whatever level they're at, they're not holding anyone back. And I, I think that's a, a major thing. Again, like this is this goes this transcends politics. Like people just getting into firearm ownership and they see that there is a training class or whatever coming up, and they're like, "Well, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, I think that I'm going to hold people back." It's kind of like the idea is like. I'm not, I hear this all the time with martial arts. Like, I'm not fit enough to start doing martial arts. Like, no, well, you can get fit doing martial arts. You can get good at guns by going to that, that, that course. But it's always that first step. It's, that's the hardest to take uh, for a lot of people. And, you know, for all the reasons we, we just mentioned before, uh, intimidation well, yeah. and, and such. And, like, if you show up and you don't have a kit, are you not cool? Like, is there the haves and the have-nots if you show up and everybody's got their right, right. Their nice guns and right. you don't oh, own yeah. a gun? Like, is somebody going to let you maybe look at their gun so that I mean, you might want to buy one? Like, is that something that's going to happen or is it, like, you're embarrassed? Like, you know? And for me, it's like, come as you are. Like, if you don't have anything, uh, we can have a day where people don't need to bring their entire kits and you can just feel okay about that. Like, that's mm-hmm. fine. Right. It is okay. I, uh, <laughs> the days of me bringing my entire, like, plate carrier and helmets are, are, are not happening in 101 degree heat in Texas. Let me tell you. It's, I, I have given up on that idea. I, I, most I was doing chest rig, camel bag, battle belt, right? But <laughs> I had some people come in with like full on plate carriers. Like, hey, man, you do you, man. But like, but within like 20 minutes, like, I, I, I regret this decision immediately. I'm like, yep. I have boobs. You know how uncomfortable it is when a plate oh, carrier yeah, hangs yeah. off your boobs for three hours? <laughs> Damn, <laughs> like, yeah. 
can they try to design something that makes it so you're like and th don't get me wrong there is some things but it's like I'm telling you, it is not comfortable to wear a plate carrier for hours when you have boobs. Right, I, I can't even imagine that. That, <laughs> yeah. that was like one of the first things Snow and I spoke about. Is um, like some companies are finally kind of getting that idea, like RMA making boob cut uh, armor. Yeah, it, that is the, sort of the greater concern too in the firearms industry and training world. Like, where is the accommodation for people that aren't just straight white dudes? You know, like where is the the i the accommodation for Every like the five eleven equivalent of clothing for plus size women or something like that, right? Or boob cut armor or uh, everyday clothing for women that carry guns that doesn't look complete shit. Like that's the other problem, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's like an until that could be like five episodes, you know. <laughs> I've been like I've been like taking like foam cutouts and like shoving them under my boobs when I wear my plate carrier so that there's not like a gap between my boobs and the plate. So anybody that's pretty who's smart. out there. Get a piece of foam, cut it, put it under your boobs. That's, that's a, really great. That's a pretty smart idea. That should be a product line, like right. boob cushion yeah. for armor. You heard it here first. Heard it here first. <laughs> it's not It's not patented. It's not trademark, y'all. Just take this idea, run with it. I want to see 10 <laughs> different prototypes by the time this episode comes out. Or Sorry, a week after this episode comes out from y'all. All right. Yeah, one yeah, week. Hash, yeah, hashtag show me your foam cuts. Show me your foam cuts. <laughs> since we're still on the topic of that um the, your biggest gripe of any you have with current uh, culture with leftist firearm ownership is that is it the gatekeeping part that that you find to be the biggest barrier to people i'd say like my biggest gripe is that there's a lot of leftist gun groups that are still run by white men and like that's fine don't get me wrong like everybody do you i'm not here to criticize people for what they do but you don't get to tell queer people or people of color when they feel safe in those groups and I, oh yeah and i think that's something that's really common is hey this is a safe space for you you don't get to tell me when a safe is space for safe for me like you never will right and that's not your right to do and i think that's a big issue is that it's like oh, look at all these things we're doing for you. And it's like, you don't get to like do this like display of things you've done for me and everything's okay or done for people and everything's okay. Like people need to be able to create their own spaces and that needs to be okay. Uh, back on the topic of like people saying that maybe like femmes or queer people aren't like good instructors. I had people spread rumors about me being um, not a good instructor because I'm not an operator because I can't, you know, go at a million miles per hour and unload guns. But you don't need, like Snow said in that episode, you don't need that to teach somebody the basics of firearms. And if you're somebody who's saying things like that, you're still being misogynist and homophobic. Whether you realize it or not, that's still something that you're perpetuating when you when you say things like that. Right, yeah, 100%, yeah, 100% right on. Um, it's it, People are still, whether or not, a lot of these leftists out there, like, understand it or not, like, they still unconsciously adhere to, like, white conservative dude bro operator standards, whether they know it or not, right? It's right just because, you know, not everyone is spamming Instagram reels of high-speed plate carrier shit, you know, does not immediately mean that someone does not have that ability to teach someone the basics. And, like, it's, it, it's you know, that it, creating that self-doubt it's in and of itself gatekeeping, right? Well, yeah, and you think you're better at teaching people in a community than the people in those in that community? Like what? Like mm -hmm. right, <laughs> right. 
sorry, but. No, don't be sorry. I mean, I think that's part of the thing that I, I mean, one of the things I find the most important about teaching is like, one, being relatable to people, and then two, not making them feel like they don't belong, like they're a guest. Like, I don't want them to feel like they're a guest um, because they're not. They're part of my community and I am of theirs. Um, and I think like, if you can't see that or understand it, like you have a lot more internal work to do. Right. And you can feel it when you're like really part of a group and when you're not like when you're kind of an outsider or an outlier, like you can feel that. And that's why people might not want to approach certain people. Right. I had a, a more personal thing or question for you, and that's what sort of your approach to say, for instance, someone's completely new to the idea of individual self-defense or firearm ownership what advice would you give that person kind of entering that space? So like you've been through all the trial and errors, like what would you tell that person? I'd say like, if you're entering the firearms community, like first and foremost, get what you can get. Like obviously like make an educated decision. There's people out there that will give you good advice. Yellow peril tactical being one of them. You can get oh, great advice you. from these people, but get what you can get. Like, don't let people make you feel like you're not allowed to come, that you're not like you're you can always sit with us. Like and another thing is that firearms is your last line of defense. That's not like people are like, oh, firearms, I'm going to protect myself. You're not going to protect shit if you don't have a community worth protecting, like or a community that's willing to protect you. So before you yes. sit there and say, oh, I need a gun, I need this and I need that. You need people that you love and people that love you and so talk to your neighbors, go to your place, figure out beyond your firearms, because you can be really adequate at guns, but how are you going to find your crew if shit hits the fan? Like, do you know how, where you're going to meet with them? There's all these other aspects of being prepared that people don't really talk to because they're not glamorous on Instagram. Um, like, do you have a go bag in your car? Do you have seeds? Do you have enough food for a week? Like, these are so much, like, I don't want to say like much more important, but they're more first line parts that you have to worry about like the reality of you actually having to use a gun are a lot smaller than you needing a community to have your back oh certainly i that was also a, a great topic of conversation with um odie from not your boyfriend like um the idea of it's I, you know it's like i said before it's like it's the unsexy stuff that's actually probably more important to your to your individual well-being and the well-being of people around you you know it's you got like you said like what's the point of all this cool cool person tactical shit if you have nothing worth protecting and nothing worth no one who's going to back you up and the more likely scenario of your every day-to-day -day life is you're probably going to have to use de-escalation verbal de-escalation de de tactics. You're probably going to have to uh, have the uh, mental situational awareness as a factor to maybe avoiding harm or helping someone else avoid harm and also using medical uh, equipment properly. You may have to save someone's life in that manner more than likely than having to put holes in someone like a car accident is easily much more likely to happen to you or someone around you than a drawn out firefight right i i and that's completely true it's uh i think it's it's so true that even the chuds know it like even even sheepdog fuckface tim kennedy 
well, what says yeah. that, right? And as much as I hate that dude, like he's actually right in that in that regard. Right, and I think also we like go to the gun range. We have our gun range friends, then we leave the gun range, and we kind of like leave those friends as our gun friends. And I think it's important to like allow those friendships to encompass like more parts of our life because you want to, like, yes. yes, you want to train, and yes, you want your training to be like sufficient and good but you also like want those people that you're training with to be your friends that you really trust that you agree with politically that you if it came down to it it's like why are you training with these people like are you eating dinner with these people do you go to like little do you celebrate each other's birthday like whatever it is like show each other that you actually love each other like that's so important yeah, I want to highlight that so much because I think part of it's so easy to be like, okay, well, these are this is like my training crew and have that like level of compartmentalization. And I think like, you know, there's also like OPSEC to consider, but there are ways to build a relationship with people um, that are safe uh, for everybody. And also like if you can't have a laugh, then can you really trust them? Right. And like aspect concerns for sure. But at the same time, it's like these are people that you're trusting with your life. Like these are people that you should trust with your life. And so it's like after a certain point like of trust is built, it's like expand on that. Like the people that organize around Insubordinate Collective are my best friends in the world. We spend holidays together. We design all of our patches together. We talk every day about everything in our lives because those are the people that I trust with my life. Does that make sense? Like, don't yes. let people just be your gun friends. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, that's a very important thing to I can also highlight is the difference between hobbyists that kind of show up to an activity versus the people you are genuinely going to be trusting your life in. Like, that is what the a real circle in my, you know, and I think we can all agree on is essentially. It's not just, hey, let's go plinking together or are you free on this one weekend to go planking? It's like, no, it's like, you know, how are you doing day to day? Like, do you have any concerns? Or he's like, well, like you said, having celebrating holidays together. Like, yeah. That's- right. Are you depressed? Do you need me to take the slide off your gun for a couple of days? Like, and that's something I wanted to bring up. This is completely random and out of nowhere. But like, if your friend is having a gun crisis and you're worried about the legality of taking somebody's guns, you can always just take like their slide and their barrel and stuff and you don't have to take the bottom parts of their guns just for legality purposes. Do whatever you feel necessary. But that's something that I would like to point out as well. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think a number of guests, including ones I have not released as of this recording, I've highlighted like the importance of mental health and having the friends who are willing to, you know, watch over your health, you know, to take that step like, like, hey, maybe I need to hang on to your guns or a part of your gun. So, you know, you don't do something reckless or something it's like, yeah, uh, an often neglected part of uh, gun ownership and gun culture, um, you know, in your community. I guess, and I get this. This would be relevant to people in the Portland area. Uh, what are kind of forms of you know right wing political violence or fascism that you've witnessed and you wish to sort of highlight as something being a huge threat to your community? Um. So obviously, living in Portland, I had the misfortune of living between two different precincts last summer. Damn. Uh, so that was pretty fun. So there was. A good amount of times where I wouldn't even go out and I would still be getting tear gassed in my house. And so it's kind of like, wow. So I'm pretty cautious about not using the word fascist all the time because like 
yeah, the police tear gassing everybody, absolutely fucking fascist. But like my mom, my, for example, my parents are New York rural people who supported Trump and believe in QAnon. I wouldn't call them fascist. I would call them fucked by a system and needing to be brought awareness. And so I think in leftist circles, there's this big idea that it's like, oh, you don't agree with me? You're a fascist. It's like, no, not everybody's a fascist. Some people grow up in like rural places and have to watch the city like suck them dry. And like, I don't, I'm not trying to say that in like a negative or like any way other than like, be aware of how you're using these words towards people because it, you also like gun control is fascist and so it's like the left doesn't like to talk about how oh the right's so fascist the right's so fascist but gun control and on the democrats is also fascist right and so it's like just be careful of how you're using that word but as far as like people that are fascist in portland the fucking proud boys like (laughs) a hundred percent like coming into the city and like beating up teenagers like i don't know if they realize that most of these kids in block are like 12 like not not really 12 but like a good amount of them are like teenagers and these people are like pointing guns at them that's a huge issue in portland like a major issue um yeah that's fucking crazy so like i mean i i I, you know every time i hear about portland it just seems like it's it's always like a like a war zone and the, the constant clashing with all these like genuinely extremely violent fascist groups and with you know with all that happening like um have you personally like witnessed the sort of collaboration between the police and the fascists there and what kind of like actual the portland area like fascists like shooting at firefighters like can you, could you speak more oh, upon yeah. that so like that's the I think more so than like the Proud Boys coming in and like taking over Portland being an issue. I think the bigger issue is climate change and how climate change will embolden fascist movements and in fascist people. And so like for example, uh last year during there was that massive fire in Portland. I'm sure we all remember that. And so meanwhile all the Antifa or people are like doing mutual aid, getting people respirators, getting people food. Like people's houses burned down. I can't express to you like the sky was red for fucking days. And you had the Proud Boys literally standing and creating barricades and pointing guns into cars, telling people that they weren't allowed to leave. And this year, we had the proud uh, people, fascists, shooting guns at firefighters, basically claiming that the firefighters were starting the fire. So I don't think, like, the Proud Boys are going to be able to ever come over and take over Portland because it's like Portland's pretty strong and we're not going to fucking let that happen. But it's like what I, the bigger concern is like being able to evacuate Portland or being able to like, when you do get into these rural areas, what is going to happen there? Right. Uh, I, I do remember like seeing and hearing a bunch of that, uh, that kind of shit happening during the fires, like all these proud boy groups, all these fascists, like getting geared up in creating their own fucking uh, completely illegal checkpoints to go and like stop people who have nothing to do with them from leaving, accusing random people of being Antifa, of uh, fire instigators. It's like, 
any any possible unfortunate event, it has to be about them and how that they're the victims at all times, so they can use it as a pretense to go and just fucking murder and harass people. And right, because uh, their goal is to harass people. Like at the end of the day, they're like they're waiting to insinuate violence, and so they're waiting for a reason, and so they'll find that reason, whatever that reason is, whether it's you know that you started a fire or you know soon it's going to be you caused the earthquake or whatever we'll see right right yeah <laughs> it's 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 you know it's the the soros money the antifa that you know that caused all this or you know I, my favorite one what was it the, the the bill gates microchip vaccine yeah yeah totally and and like i it's so I, I think the greater concern is the fact that not a lot of this stupid talking points are in fact normalized in a lot of in right-wing spaces like my fucking workplace had a bunch of fucking uh it, it's, it's a bunch of like you know you're kind of run the mill milk toast white people white people cishet you know chuds whatever right you know, maybe on surface level you wouldn't call them fascists, but they're very receptive to fascist talking points, and so like they're they were like actively agreeing with, oh my god, like look at all these Antifa guys around these around these fires, it's suspicious. I'm like, Jesus fuck, man. Like, <laughs> you mean because they're uh, doing mutual aid to like I don't know save people? Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But it's like it ne- never it never occurs to them. That proud boys with guns illegally stopping people is is not you know is it could be an issue, could be in fact an infringement on quote unquote civil rights which they love you know putting out there but never actually support. Yeah, I that's the, the problem. Stuff that I this is the stuff that I have to like get into my parents about too. I'm like. They, they're like, they think they have all these ideas about what goes on in Portland. I'm like, you have no fucking clue. Like, oh, it's laser yeah. beams from the sky. It's like, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, what no. the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, another example would be the, what was going on with Chaz in, in Seattle. Like, everyone everyone holy shit especially right wingers in the gun world oh my god you, you should you should have seen the story post from all the fucking gun chuds on youtube these fuckers oh, no. these fuckers are all like making uh, making up all kinds of bullshit narratives that that antifa were were just oppressing uh shop owners in in the chaz area or whatever and and it's it's just like you know i i know people who were quite literally par- in there and with you could see like live streams of like people having normal days like the fucking families are at peace i think my favorite part was when yankee marshall who's like one of the chuddiest of chud gun people on youtube uh you know reasonable what a name yeah reasonably i mean you can tell by the fucking name right but this guy out of all the gun people surprisingly is has some of the better talking points this dude actually drove out i think he flew out to seattle to the Chaz to see what was going on and he came back was just like you know it actually isn't that bad uh, you know i hear all these things from other people that like like that like you know it's the sky is falling here but it really isn't that bad and like more recently this guy like as of like two weeks ago made a video saying that gun people need to stop bootlicking cops i was like oh my god oh, shit. this is incredible they're having they're they're gonna be like killing each other over this this is great but well yeah, yeah. it's like when the proud boys in salem were like wait a second the cops are tear gassing us now what the <laughs> fuck? it's like yeah they're <laughs> fucked up <laughs> uh, i think a friend of mine put it really concisely saying like gun people how you feel about the atf we all feel about literally all of policing <laughs> so yeah they're all the same <laughs> 
right? And there was like this real great image of like a Seattle police car with like a don't tread on me flag on it. And like, oh, I, yeah, I, I saw guess, that. Like, I, yeah, I guess like all the Seattle police are like quitting because they don't want to get vaccinated. It's like fucking sayonara. Boo. Boo <laughs> like, fucking who? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's the other shit that makes me laugh. It's like you are simultaneously anti-government anything but also super super pro law enforcement pro military which is who the, the fuck yeah. do you think is doing this treading yeah like, <laughs> exactly it's not like a bunch of people wearing bicycle helmets and black fucking hoodies like <laughs> i promise were there any other i guess groups i mean you, you've mentioned uh, tactical thirst trap. Were there any other groups that you actively work with that you wanted to kind of highlight and what they do? Um, tactical thirst trap is pretty much like I, they're almost like the other half of insubordinate collective. Like that's some of my really close friends. And so they actually designed our Afghan patch. And so like what their primary focus is just like empowering queer people to like look sexy and be cool. Cause it's like, fuck Yeah. <laughs> Like, so everything is so serious with the gun community. Like, we can also just be sexy and cool, and, like, that's fine, too. Like, Yeah, d- totally. Like, I've said it before, like, I got nothing against, like, people expressing themselves. Fuck yeah. I mean, be all about it. Like, I think... Honest- uh, sorry, no, go ahead. I was going to say, honestly, I met, like, some of my really good friends from them, and, like, look at, look at me now. <laughs> yeah. I... Like, the, uh, this is the other thing. I think this is a good topic to bring up. Gun bunnies. Is it is, is that inherently a bad thing? Like, no, it's not. And I, I think, uh, obviously, that's more of a thing in, like, your traditional mainstream right-wing gun space. Like, because now you're seeing the overlap of gun bunnies with, like, spo- actual paid sponsorships with uh, gun I companies. Would, but I would... Oh, sorry. No, I'll say like that in and in of itself is not a terrible thing. Like, okay, you're you're showing more skin and you're having fun with guns. That's not necessarily a bad thing. I'll tell you, I would 100% rather see a hot babe with a gun than some hairy ass fucking white dude. Fuck you. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, but like, but like those those hairy ass <laughs> white dudes were people I had to look at and work with every fucking day. So like, I 100% agree with you. <laughs> yeah i mean that's that is honestly so funny plus it's like i think just in general like the more normalcy of like non-cis men carrying guns even if they are like i don't know like um you know proud girls whatever not great but there's got to be something to counter the narrative of just like only cis men with like certain physical structure and backgrounds can be competent gun people uh yes most definitely i think um we're seeing more of that in outside of the the gun bunny space right which for for most part a lot of that is aesthetics based but in the competitive world too like lena michelock she's like the daughter of you know jerry michelock and this is extremely good at competitive shooting one of the fastest shooters ever and you know she's she's personally spoken upon that idea it's like She's had to say in the interview is like, yes, I am the son of Jerry. I'm mean, sorry, daughter. My God, my my bad. Daughter of Jerry Mitchellock, but I am also my own person. Like I, I am genuinely my own person. Like, and you know, the sexism in the gun world is is so it's so bad that like even gun guys who work there can admit to it. Like straight up, like the 
the the the owner of Viking Tactics, like his wife, essentially runs the company. But people don't take him seriously when he says "talk to my wife." They're like, "Oh, like they think like it's some sort of joke or kind of formality." Like, no, like literally, she runs the company. Like, you need to go talk to her, and you know, it's that sort of idea is prevalent everywhere. I mean, unsurprisingly so. But yeah. Oh, I. I deal with that all the time where I'm like, I'll tell somebody something and then they'll be like, yeah, okay. And then they'll not take it. And then like some cis white dude comes up and says the same thing that I just said. Oh, and all Jesus. Of a suddenly, all of a sudden it clicks. I'm like, okay. Like, it's the worst. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. That's it's like, it makes me go insane. Like, <laughs> well, and then when you confront them about it, they're like, oh no, I would never do that. I respect you. I'm like, well, clearly you implicitly do not. Right, like, respect has to go deeper than, like, you just saying that you respect me, like... Exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, really, because it is it's it is that subconscious misogyny that a lot of guys don't want to confront, you know? And have I been guilty of that? For sure. It's it's why it's called subconscious. You have to have almost someone like, hey, I noticed this thing about you. I'm looking from the outside looking in, and this is how it makes other people feel. And I think a lot of the straight guys out there, myself included, like you have to be cognizant of that. Otherwise, you can't really put yourself in these spaces and be expected to make other people feel you know, safe and friendly around you. Um, especially as something like firearms, because out of all the spaces out there, maybe even outside of organizing or, you know, firearms, it's like where the egos fly the highest. It really is. And it's for a lot of things. It's how we were kind of brought up in, in America, of how we look at firearm ownership, like this idea that the the gun is the epitome of, of leadership and, and, and toughness and leading the way. So, yeah, you know, just be be careful of that. Be careful how you treat people. And such. I think too, it's like there's a lot of rhetoric out there where it's like, oh, we've been so indoctrinated about this or that. Um, but I don't think they quite realize like how deep that indoctrination goes, especially around like the myth of individualism and like what it means to be competent in anything really. Um, and like, I think the way that we were, uh, well, if you went to public school like me, um, like it's all about standardized testing and all about like being able to regurgitate information right. and you really you like reflect back and you're like I was not taught to critically think about myself and how I relate to the world and it doesn't just change with a switch and it's like you heal through relationships and so all of that like individualist bullshit of like I'm going to go off into the forest with my hunting rifle and live alone like, that's <laughs> not going to fucking work yeah yeah the that that imagery of the the lone frontiersman gonna go off and live by himself. He's gonna come back with a Jason Momoa beard, and you know, oh yeah, it's like, yeah, it's it's a fantasy for for a reason. Can some people do it? Sure. Is it gonna be a fucking miserable existence? Yes, definitely. Right. Like, as it is, it as wholesome as I don't know, like having a community that respects and loves you. Probably not. Like. Right. <laughs> There was a, a meme. It wasn't a meme. I, I, probably a promo picture, rather. It's actually on my Instagram. I, I'm resharing it when I first got into uh, Instagram. It's like this traditional-looking white cis guy with like tactical gear, but he's like teaching a a woman that's like you know purple hair, maybe kind of like gothic clothing, whatever, shooting like an FN 2000 or something like that. And like the idea is like you're transferring these skill set regardless of whoever you, 
whoever the, that person may be, what their upbringing may be, no matter how different they may be from you. I'm like, you know what? This was probably made by some chud, but I actually agree with this image for the most part. Like, it shouldn't matter who the, the student is, if they're trans or non-binary or don't necessarily align to your lifestyle. And um, yeah, like, that should kind of be the norm in gun culture, and it totally is not. And no one wants to really kind of confront that because the second that someone who isn't straight you know, starts making it big in the gun world. There's so much immediate backlash and like none other. And I, I brought this up many times because it's the best example I can come up with. Cause it's just so clear cut is when Chris Chang of top shot, who won uh, top shot came on recall magazine and front cover. Cause he's a firearms advocate pro, you know, LGBTQ, uh, a, and as someone who's gay, and and you know in the gun world and the second he made front cover recall magazine like everyone threw homophobic and racist slurs at the guy and it's you know that's why i find it humorous that gun guys will if you could if you tell the uh, average gun dude hey there's some really bad fucking racist and sexist norms and gun culture we should probably do something about it they're gonna like laugh at you or tell you that you're a snowflake who's oversensitive like oh i'm oversensitive well you had one gay guy make a fucking magazine cover and you lost your collective shit about it like obviously exactly. there's a problem here <laughs> right don't worry though we're different you're safe with us right yeah <laughs> right. exactly yeah <laughs> yeah historically no but okay Go on. <laughs> right right <laughs> It, it's 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 going to be obviously a, a continual uphill battle to confront those uh, ideas and norms, and you're certainly, in my opinion, you can't really do that by joining the NRA and trying to get like Fuddy Mc Fuddy McFlood uh, Fudlor to like change his ways of how he views uh, millennials and gay people and and you know non-binary people. Well, and that's why I love you guys is because you seen what you needed and you created it and it's a, sa a space for you to be you and do what you need to do for your community. And that's what I encourage like everybody to do. Like we're doing this. You all can do it too. Like you can have a community of people and it can be for you. And like there's people out there that will give you the tools. And if people won't give you the tools, you fucking take the tools. Like, yep. Don't let people make you feel like you can't have a community that loves you and is actually safe. You don't need to fit into a group. You don't need to candy coat how you are or pretend to be something you're not to have a community. And that's what our Discord and that's what our my entire project is focused on is creating you, networking you to find those people. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, and no, thank you for those kind words too. Like 100%. Like we, we said it before, like, YPT became a thing because we didn't see anyone else doing it in terms of Asians that weren't total fucking bootleggers, right? And that was just so much of the norm right now in America. And so well, it's only the norm because th those are the guys who, who talked the loudest in the gun world and we were getting sick of yeah. it. And so um, you, you know you're doing something right when said Asian bootleggers start trying to talk shit to you, which is great. Yeah. Your tears give me joy. Fuck you. So, yeah. Are you, like, jealous or something? <laughs> so, um, yeah, totally. So, the all these efforts, like, starting your YouTube channel, like, Tactical Girlfriend, starting a, a social media group, starting a Discord server, starting a podcast, starting a, your own training company, like, uh, Armed Margins or so many other groups out there, Atlas Defense, like, that is all within your ability. And, and like uh, Lou just said, it starts with kind of developing that 
the relationship and the community to begin with to do so. Yeah, like I, people have an idea that I've been doing this forever. I did not know shit about guns until 2020. I didn't know anything. I didn't have any friends that shot guns. I was an anarchist and I was an anti-authoritarian, but I didn't really even fully know what that meant until I was radicalized. And like, I grew, I was houseless for a long time. Like people were like, you need to read theory. You need to read this. You need to read this book. Some people can actually become radicalized just from living their lives. Like they don't need somebody to tell them why they're oppressed and why they think that their friend should be allowed to eat food. Right. Don't keep people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it, that's what makes your story so you you know I think so relatable is the fact that hey like you like you said like twenty twenty changed a lot of people but it's like you you come off as someone that that's been doing it for so long because you just did it yourself you did it the hard way in a relatively short time period actually I would say a very short time period like you've made a lot of things happen where you are putting out that important information out there and so it kind of just goes to show it's like it's. It's, it, it is well within each of our, our abilities to do so, especially with technology as it, as it is now. Well, and I was fortunate enough to find a group of friends that was willing to teach me. And so I was lucky enough to come across gun leftist Instagram and buy the right thing and not have to struggle. I obviously had that car CM9, but like after that, I was able to like find Yellow Peril Tactical and find all these different groups, Tactical Tactical GF, and I was able to buy things that were the right things for me, and that definitely helped a lot. Yes, we we no one gets through this alone as much as all these yeah. stupid fucking not even not even John Wick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. John Wick had that Korean doctor who looked just the guy from the Keymaker in Matrix save his life many times. <laughs> yep. It's the same actor. So, um, but like... <laughs> <laughs> and John Wick had a dog and I just got a dog, so like, here I there come. There you go. <laughs> You're on your way. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but like, you know, it, it, all these fucking bullshit entrepreneurs, these uh, billionaires, quote-unquote self-made billionaires, did not make it on their own. Because they had, first of all, those people had like a shit ton of important connections and were born into wealth more likely than not and stepped on other people's backs to get where they are. So no one actually becomes successful without some sort of way of other people lifting you up somehow, right? So like definitely don't think it's all about, you have to do it by yourself. They're like, I became a millionaire or a billionaire, but it's like, well, you inherited like $2 million. So it was probably a little bit easier. I only had a small loan of a million dollars. It was the (laughs) toughest time in my life. I just won the birth lottery. Like it's not my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Was there uh, any other topics or, uh, you know, concerns that you wanted to, you know, speak about? Um, I would like to uh, just say that as far as like our fundraising goes, you can either get our patches on our Etsy or you can just donate, right? Like, if you don't want my fucking patch, fine. But you can donate money right to the Zakat Foundation or to the Palestinian Red Crescent and it would do some great things for some great people. And so just if you don't want my patch, I don't I'm not hurt by it. It's fine. If you do want a patch, it's there. But you, it's a sick patch. Yeah, you should you should get their patch. It's, it's pretty fucking cool. I think I got one of your first ones. The uh, what was it? Touch my trash. You get the Kalash. That was <laughs> yeah, great. That one's cool. so good. I got I got the really big one. It was cool. 
it, I, I ordered it too big. Like, I, I ordered <laughs> it. I had never made a patch before, and I got it in the mail, and I was like, fuck. But it's it, limited edition. It was cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. It, it. It's a thick boy, but I, I appreciate that. Let's go. Yeah, go ahead and drop your all, all your social media handles or the links that you you want people to come to you. Your, your Etsy, your whatever. Yeah. Right. So my Etsy's Insubordinate Co. Uh, my Instagram is Insubordinate Dot Collective, and I have a Discord. You can send me a DM on Instagram. We do some very light betting just to make sure uh, you you know you would fit in the space okay. Make sure you're not like a chud or something. But other than that, mostly everybody's welcome and. Yeah, just shoot me a DM and we can do that. And that's all of my social media. All right, excellent. Um, this has been Yellow Parotactical with Insubordinate Collective and signing off. Thank you. Thank you. Oh.